Apple programming. Because I'm a narcissist, I am recording myself. Um, first of all, thank you all so much for coming. Um, I want to also thank our sponsors for this evening. Our Learning Tonight is sponsored by Dorothea Krieger, Li'ili Nishbas Maros Chaya, Bas and Shane Tova, Bas Moshe Nachum HaKoyin. Nishmasim Eden there, Yeretz is coming this week. Yesterday and today. Yesterday and our learning should be Le'ilin Nishmasim. And the learning is also sponsored by Rebecca and Josh Siegel, who also sponsor tonight's food and a nice spread as well. Lilu Nishmas Maras Malka, Leah Bastavid. And learning is also sponsored as well by Yudip Barsky, Lilu Nishmas, Yakir Ben Yosef Akoin, and Maras Avigail Baschaim. And also, uh, Yudip requests, and I'm sure everybody requests as well, that the learning that we do tonight is Lilu Nishmas, the Kedoshim of Pittsburgh as well, Hashemi Damam. And I thought that maybe, uh, even though here there's extra sheets over here if anybody needs, I thought that maybe. Um, we would begin with something that's not on your source sheets, and I want to share something. You know, it was, uh, it was really... Somebody came over to me on Shabbos and said, you know, Rabbi Rosenfeld, you mentioned from the Ishkodesh, I spoke about the Ishkodesh, has a drush on Yom Beis, the Sukkot Tavshin Beis, uh, second day of Sukkot 1942, and the Ishkodesh, and really what I think must be the most direct... Um, the direct autobiographical detail in the entire Sefer, the Eish Kodesh references that it was the day of the, sorry, it's Tavshin, the Eish the, Kodesh references that this is the day of the Yartzeit of his son, Eli Melech Ben Sion, who we mentioned in the first year was killed, uh, uh, was died in a hospital, was uh, originally struck by the initial shelling of uh, Warsaw. So, in that, in that drasha, and we won't do it so much inside, I'll just, uh, I guess, a taste that we were going to talk about Ishkodesh really all of next week, but, uh, but I guess in a time like this, you know, uh, thank God we have the Ishkodesh to help sort of guide our religious thoughts. And uh, he says the following thing, I'll tell you two ideas. The first thing that Ishkodesh says, he talks about the Akedah, it's talking about Sukkot, and he mentions the Gemara where Yitzchak Avinu, in dialogue with God, talking about his merits for the Jewish people, says, uh, he says basically, look at my body that is, uh, that is being sacrificed before you, even though we know Yitzchak came down from the altar, we say, Chazal tell us, uh, Jewish tradition tells us that the Afrosh Yitzchak is still on the Mizbeach, that it was as if because it was so much the Machshava, the thought of the Akedah going through was, 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 fully, was fully there. The only thing that didn't happen was the Akedah, was the binding of Isaac and, and, the, and the ultimate slaughter of Isaac. It didn't happen by Misa. So the Piazetzner, and he develops a longer Joshua, I'll just give you the gist of it that we said in Shul. The gist of the Joshua is basically that um, the Piazetzner tells us that the Akedah we know from the Ramban, we have a cloud, Ma'asavot, Siman Lebanim, what we see in, the, in our ancestors, in the patriarchs and matriarchs, is a sign for us, God's children, the Jewish people throughout history. We emulate their ways, as we spoke about on Shabbos, in ways of Chesed, Achnosis Orchim, we talked about on Shabbos, and doing acts of Chesed. But also, this means that we emulate certain other things, and the Piazetzna writes very poignantly that, that there's an aspect of emulating the Akedah as well, of us understanding that the Akedah stands, as much as it stands in our sets. Uh, we beg God, remember the Akedah of Yitzchak. We read it on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah. We ask God to remember this monumental act of faith by Father Abraham. Nevertheless, the Piazetzna says that the Akedah still reverberates throughout Jewish history. He says the Akedah was thought unconsummated. It didn't end up in action. However, he says, we know throughout Jewish history, many Jews have been, have been unwilling They've been uh, to give up their lives. Their lives have been taken uh, by persecutors and by people that hate us and people that are filled with rage. Uh, and, and, and that rage is directed always, it always boils down to the world's oldest hatred, to the hatred of the Jews. We stand in for any hang up, we stand in for any failure, we stand in for any frustration that humanity has because they look at us and Amanetzach, they look at us and they, and they can't deal. So we're a convenient scapegoat throughout all of history. So the Piazetzna writes, he says, so if you take a look throughout history, there's been so many Jews whose lives have been taken from them and there was no machshava, it was only masa. there wasn't any premeditation they didn't say, right, they, were, they didn't wake up early in the morning and saddle their donkey and say now we're going to go ahead and sacrifice our, our lives please take, please take absolutely we're going to go ahead and sacrifice our lives for God like this, their, their lives were taken against their will so Piazetzna says that the two of them throughout history form a, a full picture, a, a complete sacrifice. The Akedah, which is Machshava without Masa, thought without it being consummated, and the, and the slaughtered Jews throughout history, which is, which is Masa, only action, without Machshava, unwilling. 
Piyazetzin is obviously also talking about the milieu in the context that he lived in in the Warsaw Ghetto. And the Piyazetzin finishes off and he says, Lassid Lava, we're going to find that it's going to be an end to the suffering of the Jewish people. It's going to be an end to the Jews that every single Jew that has to give their lives, Al Kiddush Hashem, every single Jew killed Dabning in a show. Right? A Jew that goes to Shul just like us in the morning, right? You read on the, on the newspapers these sweet souls, these people that carry Sheva Hashem. So when they go to Shul on Shabbos morning, their lives are taken from them. And so, so, of course, we have another opportunity to say, oh, this is what Achtas feels like. This is what it feels like to erase our differences for a moment. Halvai, we should keep that with us. Halvai, we should take that from, uh, from this. Because that's to say, every Jew that, that, that gives their lives al Kiddush Hashem is Masava similar Banim, that's an aspect of the Akedah. It's an aspect of completing the Akedah. It's the completion throughout history, the Ashlam of the Akedah, complete sacrifice. Because that's the begs. Says let this be the end of every Jew that has to sacrifice lives. I said on Friday night, and and so uh, two people in Shul came over to me by Avdallah after the news had already started to break. We didn't we didn't talk about it in Shul, even though people came during the uh, people came during the Kiddush. Right? We didn't talk. We just said we, we talked about Sidkasra at Mincha, talked about what it means to have Sidkadin to accept God's judgments on Shabbos, what it means to go ahead and say, you know, God, your, your ways are an inscrutable abyss. We can't understand why this is so. So, so, so we have, so, so we said, you know, my, my students just finished writing the letters to these two families of, the, of Kim and, and, um, and Ziv Chajbi that were killed in, uh, in Israel, families finishing up Shloshim. I said on Friday night, I said, may that be the end. Maybe, may we give Tanchumen to these families and let that be the end. And people came and approached me and said, you know, Rabbi Josh, you know, I've been thinking about what you said in the beginning of Shabbos, and look what happened now. So look what happened now. So Piazetzner's Torah is not, is not over yet, and, and I'll, I, even though this isn't what I want to talk about this week, Piazetzner writes for Chayisara. He says that, uh, he develops an idea, he says, Lama nismecha. he says, why did Moshe Rabbeinu decide when he was putting the Torah together and the pastiche of different parts, why was the death of Sarai Meinu connected to Akedah? Sarah was a great tzaddikah. All the days of her life were connected. Right? So the Medrash tells us that Sarah heard the besor of the Akedum Yad Parchan Dishmasa. That Sarah heard that Kimadat that her son was almost killed. So Sarah's soul left her at that moment. So because that's the rights of Moshe Rabbeinu and his genius went ahead and put these parshas together. He said, Sarah Menu. Of course her Ratzon was together with Avram. Of course she was even greater Beneviyas Rashi tells us than Avram. Why should the shock of the Akedah be something that goes ahead and causes Sarah's, Sarah's heart to go out? Because Sarah, Imenu, he says, is teaching a lesson for all of Jewish history. Sarah, Imenu teaches us, says the Piazetz, that there's going to be times where it's too much, where it's too much, where we can't, we're ready, right? We're ready to sacrifice our lives for Kosh Baruch That's the Kavanah by Shema for every single Jew, according to Arizal. Shema Yisrael, Shema Kino that every Jew has to have Kavanah, that I'd be ready to lay down my life at this moment for Kosh Baruch he says, but before this is too much. Before is too much. The Sari Menu did a lesson for all of Jewish history that sometimes that the, tra- the, tra- the travails and the trials of Jewish people are too much and we can't stand it. And Sari Menu passes away. At the beginning of this parish, of course she was able to withstand the Besor of that Kedah. She was a great Sadekah. She was perfect in every way. It's, 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 it's connected to her lives. All the days of her life were the same. She was complete consistency and righteousness. So why should she pass away when she hears the news? Obviously not. But Sarimenu is our mommy. And Sarimenu tells us, she says, she says sometimes when you hear, you, when you turn on the news after Shabbos, you say, this is too much. It's too much. So that's the lesson of Sarimenu in this week's parsha. That's Chayu Sarim and Warsaw Ghetto Tafshin. Right? 1940. Okay. Transitioning. So thank you to our sponsors. I want to just direct your attention to uh, the image, uh, not of the Rebbe. We're, we're trying to bring a different image of the Rebbe every week at the top of the source sheets. I've already taken up too much time right now. But the Rebbe, underneath, the, underneath you see the Ksav Yad of one of the Talmidim of the Rebbe, Rav Eliyahu Hammer, who made Aliyah in 1935 and took with him some of the manuscripts from which Derech HaMelech, the Sefer of the Rebbe's pre-war drashos, are contained. Uh, the Rebbe... The Rebbe Darshan, we know that the Rebbe gave Joshua's every single week in his yeshiva and to his chassidim and talmidim, and his students wrote it down. So this is the ksavyad of a student that wrote it down. Unfortunately, we know that we had Joshua's in every parsha, and the Rebbe gave different copies of the, 
uh, of the drashos from the handwriting were given to different Tamidim to safeguard. Unfortunately, many of the copies were given to Tamidim that were deported to Auschwitz and the writings were lost forever. We do have an edition now of Derech HaMelech that was published in 1995 that has about 674 pages. They collected everything, about 62 drashos on the, on the Mo'adim, on the, on the holidays, the Jewish calendar, another few uh, drashos on the Parshios HaShavua, and it contains uh, the seeds of the Rebbe's thought that's developed later. You see the seeds of the Rebbe's ideas about his palace and his rakshas and the engagement of emotion in the service of God. They're all contained in the, in the drashas, Derech HaMelech. Derech HaMelech was not the name that the Piazetzna gave himself for the drashas. Derech HaMelech was the title given by Rav, Rav Eliyahu Gshaid, who was one of the Talmidim as well. And the Rebbe had used this many times. And Derech HaMelech became the name of the drashas. So I just want to show you uh, some, some genius ideas and really... Uh, that the Piazetzner's drashos and his Torah commentary shouldn't always be associated directly with uh, the drashos that he gave, Chidushet Torah, Mishno Sazam, the Chidushet Torah that came in the Warsaw Ghetto, that the Piazetzner was a masterful darshan, Lu Yitzur, that the Holocaust never happened, the Piazetzner's Svarim and his drashos would have still made it into the pantheon of great Hasidic drush and great drush ala Torah. And we also see the hallmark of these drashos is a keen, almost superhuman insight into, the, into, 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 our, into our human condition and into human psychology. The first one, and I guess we will, um, I'll read the first one inside and then maybe we'll skip a few because we, I do want to get moving and I do not, I, I want people, I want people to get to sushi and I want to, I want to let people get home also and stop boring people. Hashem Amar La Adam Arishon Ayeka. So God Almighty, after Adam sins, God Almighty says to Adam Arishon Ayeka, where are you? Right? It's that sort of strange game that God plays with Adam and Chave after the uh, primordial sin. Where are you guys? Of course Hashem knows he's omniscient. Right? He says, Ki take of Achre after this great fall, this great lapse in men, and after the great descent and fall from Eden to, to the pits, God forbid, and that humanity became all of a sudden um, burdened by our inner desires and a desire to sin. Evil became a tangible reality after the sin, after eating from the Eitz We now knew what Tovin Ra is. We now understood what evil was dissociated from good. So after Adam sinned, already here, you could stop the drush here and already here, it's a monumental insight. Why is God asking Ayaka to Adam, Arishon? Because after Adam and Chava realized what they had done, after they realized the extent of their fall, so it was as if they were not there anymore. It's as if their souls had been diminished to a point that they were no longer existent. So the Ayaka that God actually says, he's sort of reviving, he says, where are you? Come to me. Where are you? He says, come to your senses. That they had been so devastated and shattered. The whole world had been shattered by this original sin that they had committed. That God has to, has to call out, where are you? Come to your senses. Right? Like you ask somebody when they come in to the hospital, they know, where are you? Do you know where you are? That's what God is saying to Adam and Chave after the sin. Listen to the Rebbe now. Any, any individual, for anyone, that has some bad thing happen to them, something bad, you heard some bad news, you got a bad bill that wasn't expected, or, or something didn't happen the way that you wanted it to. So we find it very difficult to experience joy at that time. We can't, it's almost impossible for us to be happy. God bless you. And, and, and because we're so worried, because the worry overtakes us, we can't think about anything else. And then, when a person, conversely, we should all receive, you receive good news, and life is good, and your portfolio is up, and you feel very good about everything, or you just had a great meal. So the person finds it very difficult. What? Me worry? I have nothing to worry about. The person, you know, the, the, the worries that are always present sort of fall back to the wayside. The imkain, double underlined section, imkain ha'ish olam. If so, if this is you, then you're nothing more. Your mind is nothing more than just a way station. You're like a hotel for the thoughts of the world, for the things that are happening to you in the world. They pass through you. Now it's a good thing. Now it's a bad thing. They pass through you. So riffing off of Adam Arishon after his sin and God saying, where are you? Or who are you? After that, so the Piazetsna draws this out to regular people. He says, look, he says, when it comes to regular people, are we just a way station? Is our mind just a hotel for the thoughts of the world? What are we then? Why, what's your essence? Etzim shalosh adam ayin. Your etzim, your essence is nothing. 
So then a person should endeavor to go ahead and meditate upon their thoughts, be self-reflective, metacognition. You should think, is this a real thought? Is this really me, what I'm thinking now? Or is this just some random joyous occasion? Is this just some random uh, worry that I'm going through at this moment? And then you have to recognize, does my state of mind, does my perception of the world just change based on whatever's going on around me at the time? Am I just a product of other people's thoughts? Am I just a product of what I turn on in the news? Am I a product of what, whatever happens to me in a day? Think about what a precarious existence that is, really. Right? I have no idea what kind of a day this is. This could be the day that I walk around and I feel dour and, and down and depressed. And then, oh, to, next day... Oh, something good happened. The bus came up. The subway came on time. Now it's a good day. That's a miracle. That's a, that is a true miracle. <laughs> yes, for New Yorkers it is. And then you realize, okay, now it's time for the good thoughts to come. The Piazetzner says, A person has to realize and recognize. We talked in the last year about the Piazetzner, that your job is to, is to be reflective. Think about your own thoughts. Think about the way that you perceive the world with the Nefesh Elokis, with a godly soul. The Piazetzner says, you have to recognize that those thoughts, those aren't you. That's not your real self. They're just guests. Your sadness now, your depression now, your happiness, your excitement, all of that stuff, that's not you. That's just a guest. In the beginning, there were bad guests. And now they're good guests because that's the way the world was today. That's what happened to you today. This word, Ayeka, the Bezat says, When God calls out to Adam Arishon after the sin, what he's really asking, he says, Who are you really? Who are you? You look, you look at this person and you say, am I, just, am, I, am I just a product of everything that's happening around about me? Or am I something much more real, something much more profound? What are my anchors? The Yezetzna uses Hashem's calling out to, to Adam Arishon and Chava after the initial sin to turn it into a keen and profound psychological insight. Let's move on. Yezetzna says, maybe we'll go ahead and we'll... Uh, actually, we, we still have time. We could do the next one. The second one over here, we'll read in the English. So I translate, I don't believe... Yes, hi. Which is why, ah, very nice, very nice. Reviving them. Ah, parperos la Torah. So I'm going to read you over here. Source number two. So the Piazetsu says, Omnam isame abesht zal. So the Baal Shem Tov refers to the Pasuk, Nshira Shira Meitzitz Menacharakim. We recognize God as peering out on human affairs through the latticework, or the lover, conversely, peering out at the beloved through the latticework. Sometimes when a person goes ahead to do a sin or some ugly thing, so all of a sudden they have a little bit of fear. I would translate this even better as conscience. A pang of conscience starts to hit them. And then what do they say? I hope nobody sees me, what I'm doing right now. The Piazetzna says that feeling, that pang of consciousness, that pang of conscience, sorry, or that pang of guilt that hits you when you go to do a sin, that Jewish guilt, he says that's actually a spark of divinity within you. It's just masked. Your fear of other people see you, what will people say? Maya Gidu? What will people say if they saw me doing this? Somebody might catch me if I go into this place, or somebody might see me if I'm going ahead to do this on Shabbos. Right? If, so that thought, he says, that's actually a, God, that's a spark of godliness within you. And he develops this in the most beautiful way. This is actually a distillation of about four pages of drushas here. He says, Ideally, who are we supposed to fear? God. But what do we really fear? We fear other people. It's like Rebbe tells his Tamidim when they say, you know, Rebbe, what's the big advice? At the end of his life, he says, If only your fear of God was like your fear of other people, or your fear of social ostracism if you got caught doing something. Right? Halavai, that that should be our fear of God. So ideally, we should be in awe and fear of God. But what does God do? He's mitzamtim. He compresses that into fear of other people. That's our guilty conscience. Right? It's almost like the Piazetzner saying that the conscience that we feel when we want to sin, that guilt that we feel, that Jewish guilt maybe, 
is actually a spark of divinity. That's God. That's God speaking through. That's God speaking to us through our soul. An amazing idea, peering through the cracks in our soul. God gives us pangs of conscience when we want to sin. Whenever a Jew sins, you know, talk about Jewish guilt, right? That's actually a mark of the divinity within us. It's just compressed. It's just compressed into into this lower fear of other people. By the way, we're not going to read the whole thing inside. Obviously, serving God out of Yira is not even the highest rung. What's the highest way to serve God? Out of love. Out of love. So the Piazetzna continues in this and he says, so what does God do sometimes? We can't feel what love of God is. We, the idea of serving God or doing something because we're in love with God. We are in love with becoming close to God. So God gives us a mashal. The Rambam, everybody talks about this kind of mashal. That we should understand the love for a spouse, the love for, for, for our beloved. That should be the thing, that should be the mashal, the metaphor that teaches us what it means to love God. The same way, for example, I'll use like the mashal of love for a Rebbe. Um, there's been times like, you know, there's been times when like, you know, a person wants to sin and they say, but then I'm going to have to go ahead and like, let's say, you know, you're going to meet some great uh, teacher, some great tzaddik, some righteous man or woman. And you go, go ahead and meet them. You know how embarrassed you'll feel standing in front of them knowing, uh, do you know this ugly thing that I did? Do you know, do you know how much Lush and Hara I spoke? How could I go ahead? How could I get a bracha from these people? Or how could I go ahead and, and talk to them when I'm in a time of need? I feel so, ich, I feel so, so pathetic in front of them. So he says that love, so that means a person separates from doing sin because they love. They love the connection that they have with that teacher. They love the connection they have with that person they look up to. So Piazetzna says that's actually that love that we feel for that person. It's actually God showing us what it means to, to separate from sin and to do good out of love for God. That's the metaphor they use over here. If you take a look in the next paragraph, How does God interact with us in this world? Right? God is ineffable. Right? We get, God's intangible. We can't see, we can't feel, we can't taste God. So how do we feel and experience God in this world? So we experience it through God's traits. When we experience love, when we experience fear, when we experience excitement, when we experience uh, even depression, any kind of real, genuine thought. Right? This is again connected with this Torah, and again you see over and over again the deep, profound psychological insight with which the Piazetzta reads the Torah and speaks out his Torah. He says, that's how we experience God. That's how we come close. You know, people talk about like the love for children, right? So like when you feel, you ask people, what's, you know, what's the most spiritual moment in your whole life? So it's like you know, when the child is wheeled into the delivery room. Right? Because you're feeling the most godly thing possible. You're feeling love. Or people, you know, the, the atheist in a foxhole thing. When you feel the fear of God, right? When, when somebody feels the fear of, right? We, it's not for naught that put the fear of God into them. Right? They're, they're not, they don't have the fear. They're afraid that you might fire them. But actually, when you're saying that, what you're doing is you're going ahead and you're saying, I, I'm instilling a person's feeling something very real right now. I was watching this um, movie on Netflix called Free Solo. It's about this climber, Alex Honnold. He's the world's greatest uh, solo rock climber. And they were trying to ask him, like, you know, why does he climb these ridiculous mountains? Why does he basically risk his life? He says every single moment, the exhilaration is the purest thing that you could ever experience. It's like it, it, there's nothing comes close to this, to, this, to this emotion, to this experience. That is a godly, that's like, I'm not recommending it, right? But, but, that's, a, but that's a godly thing. That his spotless, that's what the Rebbe was saying. He's going to tell us in the next rush, he's going to say that part of being a Jew means that we're not satisfied with being flat. We're not satisfied with being in a static place. That to be a Jew, to have a Jewish soul, to have a Jewish heart, means to be mefa'e, means to bounce and to percolate and to bubble up for the service of God. So he continues, he listen to this mashal, because you have to listen, a teacher sometimes are only as good as the mashalim that they give. Right? To take great ideas, right? What's the hallmark of true genius is to explain complex ideas simply. Not to take something simple and to make it all convoluted. Piazetzner says in the third line, Second line, second line of the second paragraph in source 2. What happens? God's presence is to be felt in the world. We can recognize and detect God's presence in our relationships and the way that we experience the world, but we hide it. Right? We, 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 we cloud it out with other things because it's hard to focus on that. That's exhausting. But if a person wants to sin and to ruin the way that God is interacting with them in this world, and to extinguish one of God's traits that are in the world, so all of a sudden the godliness starts to come forward, it breaks through. The Piazetzna says, the Masha, as a metaphor, what am I talking about? 
Gachelis Sememes. One of my favorite things in the whole world is, is uh, bonfires. And one of my second most favorite things in the whole world is putting out a bonfire and hearing the sizzle and then coming back in the morning. You're like, wow, there's, this, the coals are still hot. It's like the, right? So Yosetzin says, Lamashal Gachelis Sememes. You have glowing coal. When it's covered up, the charcoal is covered up in, in, in the ashes. If you have no idea that there's fire in front of you. And then when you come to pour the water on it, finally, it starts to sizzle. And you're like, oh my gosh, there's a burning coal over here. Right? That's why they actually say, like, really put it out. Because any a single coal could start the forest fire. He says, Godliness is everywhere. It's hidden, it's covered up. We trample over it with the wasteful and, 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 and silly things that we use to, to amuse ourselves to death with. We fill up and we cover over godliness world. When you want to go ahead and do something ugly, when I go ahead to sin, right? If I want to go ahead and cover up divine love by going ahead and, and really destroying somebody, right, at a dinner conversation and tearing them to shreds. So when I want to go ahead and do that, so a yid feels guilt. Why do we feel guilt? Because we're covering up the need of divine love. We're covering up godliness that's found in the love between people, especially when people don't get along. We're covering that up. So that guilt that we feel, so that's that coal that was hidden, and now we're pouring water on it, and it sizzles up. That's the guilt that we feel. Beautiful mashal. L'chein reish is called, next paragraph, Tzarech HaYisrael Adash Hashem Eino Misnaigimo. The first thing that a Jew must know is that Hashem doesn't treat us like we treat Him. Even though a person has distanced himself from God, even if we try and distance ourselves from God, God is still going to be there. And that's why the Piazetzna quotes the Gemara. The Gemara comes from Brachos Tasamech Gimel, profound Gemara. We'll say this outside just in the interest of time. The Gemara says, Darish Bar Kapara, what's one verse, Shekola Torah Tluyaba, what's one verse in, the, in, the, in, in, in Scripture that the whole Torah is dependent on? So he quotes Apostle Kimishlei, Bechol Darchecha Daehu, know God in all thy ways, and God will straighten your path. So what is, what is, Bar Kapara says that's the that's a piece of Torah. All the Torah is dependent on that. Rabba says, Rabba says, knowing God in all your ways means even when I go to do a sin, even when I raise my hand to sin, God is there. How could that be? How could that be that I'm raising my hand to sin to go against God's will and godliness is still there? How is that possible? I'm in the midst of doing an act that's pushing God away from the world. The Piazetz and the Rebbe says that's the year that we feel. The busha, the embarrassment, the conscious, the pang of guilt that, that we feel at that moment. The okay, you know, the rationalizations, I could get away from it, I deserve this sin, all that stuff that comes at that moment. So he says it's actually God with you at the time that you're sinning. What a radical idea. What a crazy thing. What a crazy insight. He says that is Even in the midst of my sin, hopefully you turn back from it. Even at the moment I'm raising my hand to do the sin because it's a kasha and emuna, Right? If God runs the world, how could it be? If God is mechaya, every single thing in the world, if God is, sustains all life and God is, gives, animates all life, how could it be that I could raise a hand to go ahead and violate God's will? How could it be that I could open my mouth and that my lips could go in the right way to say Lashon Hara? How could that be? So Piazetzna says, because God is still found within that, even in the sin itself. So Rava says, Okay, so let's, uh, let's move to the next one, next source. Okay, so this is, and, and again, this is just a tour through Derech HaMelech. Um, it's, this is not to say that these drushos have any more. I'm sure there's, there's far more profound drushos. These were just some that's, that struck me when I was going through it. Source number three. The Gemara says, so the Gemara tells us in Bavakama Tzadizayin Amad Aleph that uh, wasted time leads to boredom and boredom leads to sin. Idle hands are the uh, devil's plaything, I think, right? Even if somebody doesn't, uh, is not wasting all their time, right? They're like, uh, they're like me, a Benoni kind of, not even a Benoni, right? They're middling, they're here. Sometimes they're serving God, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're wasting time. You know, we're tired. So he says, even that person who doesn't, who's not totally wasting all their time, you're not a total slouch, but you're somewhat of a slouch. 
that your service of God is, yeah, nah, sometimes yeah, sometimes no, if I'm feeling it, if I'm in it. Yeah, sometimes when I'm in the right mood and there's the right food and there's the right people, I could go learn Torah. But sometimes I want to stay in bed. Sometimes I want to hit the couch. Right? So that, that kind of an individual says, If that person doesn't fully approach the level of sin and of boredom that brings to sin, Piazetsna says, I'll tell you what, they're also, they, might not, they might not become complete sinners, they won't, be, they won't amount to anything really great. It's very difficult for that kind of a person to amount to anything great. And this is true in anything, right? If you want to do something, you want to be a somebody, and now we're talking about Avodah Hashem, you've got to be totally into it, right? Nobody became like a great uh, concert pianist by saying, yeah, I'm going to dabble, right? Nobody became like a, an amazing athlete by saying like, yeah, I'm naturally talented, there's 10,000 other people who are naturally talented. There's 10,000 other people who have the aptitude. The goal, what you have to do is you have to put in hours, you have to put in work, you have to be kula nitfas lavoda, says the Piazetz. And it's not just in avodas Hashem, it's in really every avenue of life. You can have all the natural inclination, aptitude, you don't cultivate that into something stronger. You're very difficult for you to amount to anything. Right? Loshiyat tofes ota. It can't be hein v'lav biadecha. It can't be rafui biadecha. That's not the way to serve God, says the Piazetzna. And he quotes from his uh, from his wife's great grandfather from the Sarafimaglanitza. He says that this is the, actually the essence of Hasidus. Essence of Hasidus is developing the desire, developing the the ideal that I'm not going to stay a middling person. I'm not going to stay in the neutral. That I'm going to be pushing myself again and again, lech lecha, like we talked about last week. Go for yourself again and again, madrega, madrega. I'm reminded of one of my favorite Torahs, Rav Kook. Rav Kook writes in his Nismidas um, Raya, Rav Kook says, under Erech Ratzain. So Rav Kook says that this is actually the goal of all of Jewish Chinuch, right? So Rav Kook also had thoughts about Chinuch as well, like the Piazetzner. Rav Kook says, the goal of all Chinuch, Tachtes Achinuch, Ayyuhudiu, Lahadbir, Erech Haratzon, Ba'adam. The main goal of the Jewish educators is to elevate desire in the Tamidim. Rav Kook says it's actually one of the interpretations, actually, even if you find a student that's like really bad. They're doing like really bad stuff. At least they're showing something great. They're showing desire. They're showing a, a rutzon to do something. That could be channeled into good. But what's worse than that is apathy. What's worse than that is somebody that's not able to do any of these things. Because that person, what are you going to channel? Hi. So hate adds up to 18, which is life. So it, it, so it does show that you're involved. I love this bracha. Parparos, Latora, right? We say, right? What, what's parparos, Latora, Gematria? Right, so gematria is like uh, it's one of the one of the one of the ways in which the Torah is midrashes, one of the ways in which we interpret the Torah. So gematria is part of the brayser of Elazar Gadol, one of the forty-two extra ways in which we interpret Torah. So we call it parparos the chachma. So gematria goes ahead; it's like putting spice on a. It's like you. Uh, I was reading the New York Times magazine. We'll take a break for a second. I was reading the New York Times magazine. You ever read them discuss uh, cooking? Right, so they were discussing cooking this past week. So they had a, a woman who became Julia Child's uh, partner in baking. They wrote the, the Julia Child cookbook together. And she was talking about how she had to bring a cake for Julia. Right, Julia, she has one name, right? She has to bring a cake. And she was talking about uh, baking this sublime cake. And then she says, you know, but, but I felt, you know, I, I baked this cake a million times. I felt like it wasn't enough. It was delicious, but it's not enough for Julia. So she says, I tweaked the recipe and I made a macadamia nut crunch to put on top of it. And then I added amaretti cookies that have to be ordered in the recipe. Talk about pretentious. Has to be ordered from a particular brand in Italy. So she says, that's, that's, what, that's what elevated it. So Gimacha does that. Gimacha ta- takes it part. It, it spices it up. It brings it to a beautiful voice. I thank you for that. So we say over here, let's take a look. We're going to skip the last one over here and we're going to move on to Mevoa Sharim. Mevoa Sharim. Mevoa Sharim. Do we finish this idea? We finish this idea. Yeah, we finish this idea. So that's Rukuk's idea in Chinook, which echoes that of the Piazetzner as well. Mevoa Sharim is an interesting safer. I want you guys to take a look at that picture in the box over there. You see that picture? And there's something uh, crossed out underneath it. I don't think any of us can make it out. I certainly couldn't make it out. So this is, so on the top, right, Piazetzner had difficult handwriting. Actually, we, uh, Daniel Reiser, Professor Reiser, surmises that the Piazetzner's handwriting deteriorated, not just because of the uh, difficult, I mean, listen to this. He says that, like, he has from the Ringelblum archive, people describe writing in the ghetto. There was no heat. There was no heat. Writing in the winter, writing in the ghetto, you could actually see in the Piazetsna's rushes that his hand struggles to write. 
that the emendations that he makes as, as the war goes on become almost completely illegible. That's why I'll show you next week the painstaking work that Professor Reiser did to really decipher every word because in the earlier editions of Eish Kodesh there have been a lot of mistakes in the reading and sometimes people just skipped words because they were so illegible. But think about it. Think about writing in the cold. Think about writing with your hands absolutely freezing. Right? And the Piazetsna tried to write in his handwriting, but the Piazetsna apparently also had atrophy in his arms already from before. But he basically has a line where he says, you know, they have to write. Like Ruf Cook said, you know, he says, I, I, don't, uh, I don't write because I want to write. I write because I cannot remain silent. So that's kind of like where the Piazetsna is writing out of also. This is particularly poignant. The Piazetsna signed in the Ringelblum archive where Mavo Sharam is found in the milk cans. So the Piazetsna signed his name at the top of one of the copies of Mavo Sharim. And the Piazetsna wrote underneath before the war when he originally signed it. So the Piazetsna wrote, Av based in Po the Piazetsna. We know from an earlier copy the Piazetsna was originally going over the original manuscripts of Mavo Sharim. So he wrote, I am the Av based and I am the head of the religious court in Piazetsna. Then, by the time that he was committing these writings to the Ringelblum archive to be buried, Piazetsna realized that Piazetsna realized that Piazetsna longer existed. He realized at that time self awareness was that Piazetsna was no longer there. The city was gone. All of its Jews were either deported or all of its Jews were with the Piazetsna in the in the in the ghetto. So he crosses it out. Doesn't exist anymore. All its Jews are gone. So this is the Piazetsna's handwriting. He comes back. This is on this manuscript. He comes back and he erases Av Bastin Po. He's no longer the Av Bastin of Piazetsna. So that's that erasure. That's what Reiser does throughout his book. So Mavo Asharim is an interesting safer. Mavo Asharim is supposed to be the introduction. The introduction to the third part of the Piazetsna's trilogy. There's one more source sheet over here if anybody needs the, the, the end, the third part of the trilogy, Chavas Tamidim, Chsharas Avrechim, was supposed to be then going into a, book, a much larger book called Chovas Avrechim, which was, which was never finished. So the Piazetsna wrote a book called Mavo Sharim, which was an instruction manual with how to go ahead and to read Chsharas Avrechim. And the Piazetsna finishes off the last line in Mavo Sharim. And this leads us to the second part of the Shir today, really the end of the Shir today, that the Piazetsna tells us. The Piazetsna says that um, we don't really find Hasidic Rebbe's revealing their inner life like the Piazetsna Rebbe. And the Piazetsna Rebbe, as we'll see in a moment in Tzav Vizirus, the Piazetsna reveals the, the inner core of his being under thinly veiled writing that he's talking about himself, his tfilos, his prayers, and his inner spiritual dialogue. And the Piazetsna finishes off Mavosharm with the following thing. Listen to this. From the depths of my heart, I beg of you, O God, God Almighty, merciful God, who has mercy even on, the, on his lowly sons, uh, seemingly referring to himself that they shouldn't be pushed away from his presence. And us, the descendants of God's righteous servants, that we shouldn't be knocked out from God's presence permanently. Please have mercy on me, says the Piazetsna, and bring me closer to your holiness and to your service. Illuminate my eyes. So I should look inwards. I shouldn't be beset by any, any uh, I shouldn't be beset by any vultures of the spirit. Nothing should take away my sense of closeness to you. And every path, every, every vrid, every, every artery that's within it should be revealed to you. All the nooks and crannies in my heart shall be revealed. And when that's done, God, when you allow me to have that kind of level of introspection, then I will return to you together with my soul. I'll do tshuva. And when I'm able to look inward, let other people, let my tamidim, let them look inward also. And when I do tshuva, my students and tamidim and my people will also do tshuva. And from them I will build myself. And with their schus, with their merit, I will also become meritorious. And in God Almighty's holiness, we will all be sanctified. 
And let the glory of God be revealed to everyone that dwells here. shall see all the people of the world shall see that the name of God is called upon the Jewish people. And let this is the tefillah that the whole world is filled with God's glory. This is the tefillah that the Piazetzner finishes up Mavosharim for, and he leads us into the final book. And I think I'm already over time, but we started slightly. Are we not? I, uh, we usually have a clock. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Khalila, <laughs> no, we, we could talk for hours. <laughs> I don't mean that, like, uh, I'm saying we could talk for hours. We could, I, Anyways, so the last work that I want to do, and next week in Mir Hashem, we're going to make our way to the Ish Kodesh, I guess finally or reluctantly, so, is the St. Fritzavazeros. If you look at the top from Reiser's book, is, the, uh, is, a, is a little piece of paper that was attached to Tzavazeros in the Ringelblum archive by a Sika. You could see at the middle of the image on the top, you could see the rust marks from the, uh, from the note that connected it to the manuscripts. It says Tzavazeros. And this is what led them to this work. So Tzav Zeruz is a fascinating sefer. The Admar called it, the Admar Piazetzna called it, Pitgamim HaKolalim Klalim Umuraurus HaNefesh Bavotas Hashem. These are sayings, aphorisms, that go ahead and include in them the ups and downs, the, per, the, the paraginations of the soul. And, and, and how the soul feels in Avodah Hashem. I would say, with my limited knowledge, I would say that this is the most autobiographical, the most diaristic of the Piazetzna's writings, even though we do see moments in Eish Kodesh, which we'll see next week, in which he is fiercely, fiercely autobiographical in the most painful, heart-rending kind of way. But Savazeris contains the bulk. Uh, students, I was learning this with two of my students in SAR last year. Uh, so my student, Ash, so, so he went ahead and he, he and I marked off every place where, it set, where the because that's the, uh, instead of functioning like a regular Sefer where he starts to sort of move into tefillah and he writes prayers, like Rabbi Nachman, he writes prayers. I just discovered, by the way, parenthetically, when a riser is writing about all the writings, gathering together everything, apparently there exists in the world, listen to this, there exists in the world a manuscript that he wasn't allowed to see, that, that Professor Reiser wasn't allowed to see, that contains stories that the Piazetzner told his Talmidim, right? It's very, that, that would be an amazing thing to see because we, we know that famously Rabbi Nachman told stories, it's almost sui generis in the history of Hasidus and, and Jewish writing to have such a great, uh, to have a great rabbi, a great Hasidic rabbi telling stories like this. Apparently there's a manuscript filled with stories that the Piazetzner would say. Reiser says he wasn't allowed to see the manuscript. Anyways, back to Tzavazeris, it's probably where the Rebbe gets most autobiographical. He falls into tefillah many times. The, 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 the text starts to shift into tefillah and, and at many times he's very thinly veiled where he's talking about himself uh, just like the passage that we just saw from the end of Mavosharim uh, it was originally apparently started to be written in 1927 there were a number of copies that were given to Tamidim was, and was then published for the first time in wide distribution in 1962 uh, to translate it roughly Tzavu Zirus is probably like urgent messages urgent messages and commands and in this the Rebbe speaks in a terse style a direct style and probably the most forceful style he he has conversations with old, uh, old. He has a conversation with an old man on his deathbed, and the man says, "I've been a chassid for my entire life." And they engage in a dialogue because the person says, "Even though I look like a chassid on the outside, I'm nothing on the inside." And he laments his life to the piazetzna. The piazetzna talks about lessons he learns from this. The piazetzna says another element in Savin Zeris where he talks about some chastorah before the war. How the piazetzna says he's ready to die at that very moment, and we see foreshadowing in the piazetzna's own spiritual diary. We see foreshadowing of the person that would later become as we've developed the theme in our shir, and the person that would later become the Eish Kodesh, able to do the monumental spiritual work he did in the ghetto. Tzav Ezeru's number one and two says the following thing. Listen to this. Matov haya. Source number six. Matov hayalu yecholnu lichyos ba'olam hazeh al kopanim od shivim shana achrei klos yemeshin osenu. How good would it be if after we passed away, or at the time that we were supposed to pass away, achar mev esrim, that God said, you know what? I'm going to give you another 70 years. I'm going to give you another 70 years. You have another life, another chance at life. Our whole lives we struggle to educate ourselves, to train ourselves, to learn. To develop and cultivate the greatness within us. To straighten that which is crooked within our souls. And then in our second life, in our second chance, we could live well. We could live a pure, clear, polished life. 
a pure life even in this world. But what happens after this long, difficult, arduous life that we all live? All of a sudden, we're no longer there. For he was taken by God. So I wrote over here in my own, in my own I said it's almost prophetic what he's talking about because he switches from, first, from third person to first person. Almost like talking about himself. I mean, what would have happened, think about it, if the Piazetzner had lived? What would have happened if Piazetzner had made it to Eretz Yisrael? What would have happened if we had the Piazetzner with us to teach us in person? What would happen if the Piazetzner opened up Yeshiva Stas Moshe and taught us how to educate Jewish children in his lifetime? What would have happened if this person was not cut short? What if, what if, what if? Piazetzner writes, listen to this line again, and he switches, he switches from third to first person. He says, after, these, after this difficult life, we are all of a sudden no longer here. Because God took him. So what do you do? So Piazetzner said, I have, a good, I have a good piece of advice. Take this advice. Write down everything. Write down all your thoughts. Not to go ahead and to make it to the bestseller list or to make it to the front shelf in Beagleizen or anything like that. That's not why you should write the book. Or to, to become popular and get scholar and resonance gigs. That's not why you write it. A human being is enjoined to carve themselves onto paper. Take your soul and carve it onto paper. Spill out your heart. And put on that paper your failings, your successes. Put that all there. All the things that you went through. The ups and downs. Every single person has their own unique perspective on life. All of us are a whole world. All of us have our own experiences that we learn from. There is a vast library. Borges writes about this. This library is a vast library that contains the sum total of all of human knowledge. The book that we all write. The book that we all, the things that happen to us, unique experiences. Some people go ahead, they have the koch to write that down for other people and they develop great novels, great works of literature that stand for history. But all of us have that within us. Everybody has unique situations that deal with it. That says, write your own book. Write your, make yourself immortal. Write down your thoughts. That should stay alive. That should live forever in those that are able to read this. I think that this is what my Saba did, right? My Saba, I mentioned before, my Saba, my Saba never really talked about the Holocaust publicly, never talked about it. Our family was always there. Our family was constantly present. But far bar mitzvahs, so he wrote down everything. He wrote down your know, 500 pages, every single thing, because... And he just gave it to us for our bar mitzvahs. It wasn't meant to be published. It got published after he passed away, selections from it. But he just, he felt this need, everything needs to be. And I could say, I could say that in my Saba, the one thing that I saw was a, a pachad. And after you work so hard, if you struggle to survive, and you probably have that survivor's guilt, right? So he was concerned with Nitzchius intensely. He was concerned with his eternity intensely. You saw that in us, and, and I think many Holocaust survivors are like that. I survived, what's it going to be for? What am I surviving for? How's, how's my legacy going to perpetuate? It's also a, a thought that, it's one of the scarier thoughts if you let your mind get there. What's going to happen? Am I going to be forgotten? Maybe that's not a thought at all. Rav Nachman talks about this in Sichas Ran. He says one of the greatest Yitzhahara that a person has is the Yitzhahara Leos Mefursam. One of the greatest Yitzhahara that a person has is the desire to be famous. The desire to be remembered. The desire to, to say, oh, I have to have some impact on the world. What's going to be my legacy? Two, three generations, right? It's like that book, uh, this neuropsychologist, David Eagleman, wrote a book called Sum, in which he imagines 42 different scenarios for the afterlife. So he has a terrifying line. You know what he says? He says, a person undergoes three deaths. The first is when their heart stops beating. Second is when they're lowered into the grave. And the third is when your name is spoken for the last time. He says, so, so. He says over here, so write yourself down, right? Put this down forever. Tamo Nachayu will stay alive for you. This will last for you. And that will last generation, generation. What's the point of writing that? So he says in number two, how does this work in our own Avodah Hashem? When we're still here, he says, in Ritzon Chalavodah Hashem, if you really desire to serve God, and to raise yourself up higher and not to take a look at yourself when you're 70 years old and say I've not developed spiritually or internally past I could drive now or I could smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol that's what I've got with my growing old but spiritually I'm still the same place as my bar mitzvah maybe even worse so if you don't want that to be you 
This is what you should do. Every year, Rosh Hashanah time or whenever, make for yourself a goal. Imagine to yourself, If your name is Ruvain, right? So I guess you all see now, you all have it in front of you. Right, so I wrote Josh on top of it. Right, in Shimcha Josh, in Shimcha Ruvain. Sorry, I should have used a different version. In Shimcha Ruvain Lamashal, if your name is Ruvain, for example, Eze Ruvain Tiabashanaba, what kind of a Ruvain are you going to be next year? Mayu Asagosov. How is that Ruvain? How are you going to be developed? How are you going to look back at yourself this past year? Are you, are you going to have grown? Are you going to be someone different? Are you going to be in motion? Or are you going to be static? Avadosmi dos vechot chano. Right, what's going to be you? A year from now, a year hence, where will you be standing? Will you be in the same place? He says your yardstick will be that, imagined, that imaginary Ruvain. Right? You want this year to be the year you get in shape? So take a look at yourself a year from now when you lose the Hislavas, when you lose the fire of the initial beginnings. Let's see, did I actually get in shape? I want to change the way I eat. Am I still eating junk food the same way? I want to go ahead and I want to learn more Torah. I want to daven better. I want to wake up earlier. I want to do all these things. I want to build relationships. Are my relationships better or worse? Or the same? That's, he says, that's, that's how a person rises. And of those practical advice, the Piazetzner, at the end of the day, for all of his, his exegetical brilliance and hermeneutical brilliance, Piazetzner was always teaching. Piazetzner was always giving instructions to people. Okay, we have time for, for two more. Okay? Time for two more. Tzavazir is number nine. Listen to the, I talked about psychological depth. I think any, any psychologist, source, this is source seven. Still on page four. Source seven, I'm sorry. Number nine. Full start. Full start. People like to get excited. People's souls like to be engaged. We like to feel something. Not just joy alone. The soul desires to feel something. So w- whether or not we fill that with a, a symphony orchestra, right, hearing a beautiful rendition of, of, of Hayden symphonies, or whether we do that through, through drugs, or whether we do that through the runners, through running or hiking or climbing like this person, we, we need to feel something. We're going to sports games or scary movies, right? We, people want to feel something. Right? This is a Hasidic Rebbe writing this in the 1920s, right? So even, one moment, even, even with sadness, even with crying, with tears, the soul likes to feel, to, to feel something. So much better to feel something than to feel nothing. What happens when you feel too much, you need to numb that, right? It becomes almost, it's overwhelming. So he says, People like to see crazy things, right? Take a look at like from news websites, it's all car accidents, right? It's, right all you want to see is something, something out of the ordinary, something wild, something to go ahead and to, to, to move you. We like to see crazy images, like presages like Susan Sontag by like 60 years. Susan Sontag wrote about uh, people perceiving images of human suffering, right? Regarding the pain of others. She wrote a small book about it, a genius book. Right? This is, she says, we look at these images, and besides, she talks about dissociation from these images, but the fact that we look at them is to feel something. Right? It takes us out of, out of the dismal, everyday, uh, our lives, we never see anything crazy, and all of a sudden we see an image from some, some war zone somewhere, we feel something. So he says, We hear crazy stories, and it, and it does something to us. We even cry at these stories. This is, just, is as much a need of the soul to feel this, to be moved in any way. It's as much as the, our need for love, or our need for reinforcement, or our need for encouragement. The soul needs this. He says, now this presents a tremendous difficulty for a religious individual. Right? This is maybe one of the central problems of religious life because I got, I got news going into davening day in and day out. It's not always, uh, not always the most moving experience. Going to a shir maybe on a Monday night, not always the most moving experience. Doing, so, doing stuff like that, Judaism can be a drudge. It can be drudgery sometimes. It can be the, the road to performance day in, day out, another mitzvah. Okay, tzitzis again. Ah, Shabbos candles again, really? Right? Tzedakah again. Right? Really? Okay, another mishulach. Right? So, so it, becomes, it becomes stagnant. So he says, because that's the season, it's tremendous spiritual danger. Right? Think about the perception here. This is a tremendous spiritual danger. He says, I recognize... 
I recognize people's need to feel moved like that. I recognize people's need to feel something in themselves. And if they don't find it in Torah and mitzvahs, they don't find it in the service of God, they'll find it other places. And that won't necessarily be the path of Torah and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It could be. It could be, you could take neutral things and elevate it, absolutely. Right? You could say till when you're climbing that mountain or skiing or whatever. Right? You could, you could look at Hashem's creation. You could say, this is a beautiful thing. But this person has to find it in Torah and Tefillah and the hispalus and the, the emotions and the thought, the thought processes that he illustrates for us, the, the mindfulness activities that he illustrates for us are ways to go ahead and experience that. Shomer Nasha, that's what protects you. And that's not so with somebody that's, uh, that doesn't feel it or is not seeking out excitement in the Avodah Hashem. The Avodah Hashem is just fulfilling, uh, fulfilling a command or fulfilling what we're told. So then, uh, so, then, so then you're in trouble. Then you're in trouble. We're going to finish with this last one. I'll take questions after. Finish with the last one. So I talked about the Piazzats. The next week we're going to be diving into the uh, abyss. We're going to be going into the Eish Kodesh itself, the Eish Kodesh proper. But I, I mentioned that I said that the Piazzats and the sparks of the person in the Eish Kodesh, the person that wrote Eish Kodesh in the Warsaw Ghetto, didn't come out of nowhere. The Piazzats was fiercely, deeply... Um, fiercely, deeply uh, aware of his own mortality, as we've seen, aware of his own soul, and aware of his way of interacting. So I mentioned that one prophetic line, listen to this one, source number eight. And this is an autobi- This is surely autobiographical. We talked about Shalosh Sudas being the time of the Piazetz, and he mentions in Achshar Savreich, and that's the time to really connect. This is a great fear descended upon me at Shalosh Sudas. Thought came into my mind. What would happen if right here and now is my last moment, my final moment? What would happen to me? The Mishnah in Avos and in Shabbos tells us you have to do tshuva one day before your death. Right? You should do, the point to this is that you don't, we don't know when we're taken. We have no idea when, our, when it's our time. Should be Achamev Esther, should be after 120. We have no idea when our time is up. So, everybody, you should live a life of constant tshuva. You should live a life where you're constantly returning to God. You shouldn't think bad, you shouldn't do bad. You should, you should constantly defeat your inclinations and your baser instincts. You might be taken at any moment. Perhaps I might die tomorrow. He says, but what I really want is not just to do tshuva. I want to be in a perfect state. I want to perfect myself. I want to really have my soul at the point. Right? What's the goal? The goal is not having a bad, living a bad life and finally doing tshuva at the, when you're 120 years old. The goal is to constantly live your life in this progression that Pizetz is talking about where you perfect yourself and you return your soul back to God in the pure way that it came to you in this world. He says, but you can't do that every day. He says, I find that impossible. If I think to myself, I'm doing tshuva maybe, but my soul's not perfect, then what happens if tomorrow I have to show that to God in the world of holiness? I'm filled with the terror. I'm filled with the deepest fear. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid. It's not my worry whether I'm going to live a long life or not live a long life. The thing that really bothers me, the thing that really puts strikes terror in the Piazetzin's heart is not whether or not I'm going to be killed tomorrow or I'm going to die tomorrow. The thing that puts fear in my heart is what's my soul going to look like when I return it to God that next day? I haven't had enough time. It's like a refroman, right? The Ravavot Niel. So they, had, they did interview with him on his deathbed, and he's singing with his wife. He's singing, Tain Lizman, Tain Lizman, an Israeli song, Give me time, give me time. He's dying of cancer, Tain Lizman. Right? He's looking, I just need more time. It's, it's, it's Adik, a person that, you know, a person that fulfilled mitzvahs. They talk about him going to every minion, hearing, hearing uh, you know, Birkas Kohan, a person in love with Judaism, Tain Lizman, just give me time. Because that's not, didn't have, he didn't have time, nor did, nor did Rabbi Menachem either. He says, I'm, that's what I'm afraid of. Take my life, but, it's not, but I'm not done yet. I have work to do. I'm not here to live and to feel good about being in this world. I'm here to do something. Why am I crying? Why am I afraid? Why am I so afraid to show up in heaven with my stained soul? 
And then I thought to myself, I'm so afraid to show my soul to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Olam Elyon, in the world above. So I'm not afraid to show my soul to Him now. God sees my soul right now. So I'm not afraid now. Who knows? Maybe God has already pushed me out. Maybe God, maybe God doesn't want me anymore. And these are the thoughts that jogged the Piazetzn. Maybe I've been tossed out by God into the dumps. He says, that's possible. I have no answer. He says, I have nothing to say for this. All of a sudden, the Piazetzn doesn't have anything for us. He says, I scream out to God, to the king, God, Almighty, please don't let me sink. Please don't let me sink. That's the only thing that you could do. You have no idea. You have no idea when, and you have no idea why, and you don't have to where you are. All you could do is cry out to God. Here, all of a sudden, the Piazetzna has nothing to say except for this. Just scream out. Next week, Emir Tzashem, after seeing.